You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 6 in our series on Richard Matheson, where we will be looking at his sixth book, Ride the Nightmare, as well as the Alfred Hitchcock Hour episode that it was adapted into and the movie that it was adapted into, which is called Cold Sweat. Um, Today we're joined once again by my Uncle Tony. How's it going, Uncle Tony? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, you were with us for um, the West End Horror back yes. when we were talking about Nicholas Meyer's books, and you're a librarian by trade. Um, that's what they call me. That's what yes, yeah, that's what my paycheck says. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you're not familiar with Richard Matheson. This was your first first uh, time I've 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 read anything by him, and uh, you know, been exposed to his work. So. All right, cool. Well, the reason why I, I asked you to be on this one mm-hmm. is not so much because of the book, but because of the movie, which is Cold Sweat, which was directed by Terrence Young. Mm-hmm. And Terrence Young is the guy who directed the first two James Bond movies, Dr. No, and what I think is your favorite, or at least it was, From Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. And he also did Thunderball, but you know, yeah. whatever. But we'll get into him later on. All uh, right. You're you're a bit of a James Bond fan. The last time we we talked about uh, Sherlock Holmes, so this week, my two two of my favorite literary uh, characters. All right, so ride the nightmare. Um, it was a book which was written in 1959, which was the year after uh, Matheson's last book, A Stir of Echoes, and it is about a guy who gets a phone call. He's married. With a, with a family in the suburbs or whatever in Los Angeles. He gets a phone call uh, almost in the middle of the night from some guy saying that he wants to kill him. And, you know, it is revealed over the course of the story that he was involved in a crime in his youth and uh, he's been hiding from it ever since. And now these people who he left hanging, he was the getaway driver and he drove away without them, uh, are now... Looking for revenge. Uncle Tony, what did you think about Ride the Nightmare? I have to say that it was probably one of the most uh, exciting uh, uh, fictional stories I've read in quite some time. Grabbed my interest right from the start. Tight plot, well-written, you know, fast-paced, a real a real thriller. I, I didn't find anything about it predictable. Uh, I thought it was... Um, a real, real attention grabber. I, I loved it. It was a great book. What, what about you, Max? Had you read it before? Um, I, I don't think that I had read this before. I think I've read um, a couple of these novels before, but this one definitely did not strike me as familiar. Although I did get a, a very sort of weird vibe on numerous occasions where I was like, this feels like an episode of 24. I, I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> not so much an episode of 24 as like a, the, a season of 24. Well, like particular points, mm-hmm. like where like I, I was like, that feels kind of odd, odd and mm. kind of like that didn't really need to happen. It kind of just happened because something had to happen at this point. And that is how I felt about 24. Pretty much every moment of 24 is, really? Is this still happening? I oh, the bad guys are doing something different now. And and, and in this, I, I definitely had that, that sense on many occasions. 
I mean, like, it all still works, and it's certainly more intelligently handled than 24 handled things, but I, I did get that vibe many times. It, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think we've all either seen, maybe read other things, but, but definitely seen episodes where someone's running from their their past and yeah. something gets unveiled and then there's a a crisis involved and so from that sense i the plot line wasn't unusual mm-hmm. but having said that you know and thinking about when it was written in 1959 it certainly seems ahead of its time right and and you know certainly i can see this being the, the genesis for a lot that has come after yeah, yeah. similar yeah, I guess there was a lot of stuff in here which reminded me of something which came later on. Like, mm-hmm. I kept on thinking, like, and I guess with this, and, and there have been some other books, too, where I'm like, man, it would not surprise me at all if Quentin Tarantino was a huge Richard Matheson fan. Like, the whole thing where, um, you know, towards the end of the, the book, one of the the uh, bad guys gets shot, mm-hmm. and he basically is having a standoff with his, you know his uh accomplice accomplice yeah yeah. um trying to to convince him to take him to a doctor whereas the other guy doesn't and you know there's there's a whole a whole big thing about that and that felt very very similar to reservoir dogs in a lot of ways yeah like with the 24 thing i think like the impression that i got from it is like each chapter kind of ended on a cliffhanger you know it looked like things were being resolved and then there would be a new complicating factor which was even you know more intense than than what had come before you know as i was reading it i was like this is a really simple story you know like like i i admired it from a you know kind of a technical level i guess and and i um was definitely riveted and Mm -hmm. and entertained by the story but the whole time I was kind of thinking, like, where is he going with this? What's the what's the point? What's the message? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I think he kind of hits the nail on the head. And, you know, it, it really is sort of um, uh, an interesting look at good and evil, you know, right. from like a philosophical level and how, you know, just because someone did something terrible, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a terrible person. Right. Things like that. I actually would argue that the exact opposite oh. is the point. Okay. It's not that just because someone does something terrible that they're a terrible person. I think the opposite is true. I think the implication is that there is a terrible component in everyone. Okay. And that like life is actually pretty awful and dark. And and realizing that, coming to terms with that reality, is a pretty awful thing that must happen to people at some point. Okay, it's a little darker I, take on it, but I could see that too. Yeah. I, I think the other thing too that, you know, is the whole idea that um, we, we don't live our lives in episodes. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that the story kind of drives home the point that we're kind of the summation of of everything that we've done and everything that's gone before. And yeah, it, it's, it's very hard to run from your past. People mm-hmm. can change, but, but at times, you know, it catches up to you a little bit. So, yeah. Well, there's an interesting moment where the, where the protagonist's wife like realizes that whoever she was is mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, 
part of the part of the, the DNA of it. It's like like she's a sort of a like a representative of a continuum of an identity, and it's not a given like structure. It's the entirety of it. And the guy who she was with, like she didn't really know his narrative, and now she knows it, but she doesn't know if she's still married to that person because she might have died in the process of realizing that. It's a very bizarre sort of logical thing, but. It's sort of like life's too messy to have simple narratives. You know, the, the idea of, of of a person being the 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 sum of all their experiences and all their collective experience. You know that that was really kind of a deeper, I think, theme on the whole yeah. behind the the exciting story that took place. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, there were times where like the, the the plot felt kind of contrived, mm-hmm. but I. I sort of went, well, there's a there's there's a there's a reason for these things to happen, and it's not because the action has to keep going, and and that's why I I forgave it some mm-hmm. some plot contrivances that I thought were a little weak. Well, three years later, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour adapted it into uh, an episode, which Richard Matheson actually wrote himself, and it starred uh, Jenna Rollins. Now, um, I watched it, and, and Max, you watched it too. Yes. What, what did you think about it? I, 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 I think this 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 story is um, it doesn't really work outside of the novel. It, without without the depth of, that the prose gives the characters, um, it really is just twenty four. It becomes just some guys called this guy, and it turns out that he like was involved in this thing a long time ago, and then like there's bad stuff happening. And without that, without the depth, without that internal life, it's just a bunch of stuff that happened. Okay. And it's, and, and to me, it's very, very empty. And I don't, like, I, like, I tried to, like, you know, like, see the character the way I saw the character in the book, but I, I, I don't see the character in, in the Alfred Hitchcock episode as being, like, a complete person. I see him as being, you know, a protagonist established in 30 seconds so that, uh, that the audience can relate to him. But I don't relate to him. Mm-hmm. He seems empty. Like a like an automaton to me. I I did like it, but not nearly as much as the book. It's it's really interesting. Like at the the beginning, like the, maybe the first half mm-hmm. is very very faithful to 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 the the source material. It's almost word for word the same in in some cases. But they, as the story you know goes along, it seems like as the further they get along, the more they remove they don't really change anything they just take stuff out like there is no daughter in it okay and um a lot of the sort of like going back and forth like getting the doctor and getting the money and all this these things are kind of compressed into like one mm-hmm. event and um has there been an adaptation of a richard matheson story that didn't remove the kids <laughs> from the story well the movie has it, like all of them so far i think have removed the kids except for stir of echoes incredible shrinking woman oh yeah but that's not the same thing though and and cold sweat also has him has a kid in it but um but yeah here this is it's definitely the kid is gone and i can kind of see that but you know like you were saying max um it, it does lose a lot of uh the overall themes and stuff like that. The characters aren't nearly as rich, and it just just because becomes sort of a suspense story. It's it's weird. It's not really what I think of when I think of like Alfred Hitchcock presents. It's more of like an action thing. I mean, I guess it would be 
if like your average episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents is, you know, psycho, this would be the North by Northwest of the Alfred Hitchcock hour, you know? Um, I'm not sure if that metaphor is labored enough. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, one of the axioms we, we usually encounter at the library is, uh, uh whenever there's a, a a movie that comes out and it's based on a, a novel or yeah. you know written story of some type 99 and 9/10% of the time the comment will be well I um I like the book better than the than the movie and um there's such radically different formats mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that it's almost like comparing apples and oranges yeah when you're when you're sitting down and you're reading a novel, you know it, it's 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 a much more intimate experience, I think. And it, it, it's, I think the inverse is true, also. I think that that novel adaptations of movies are invariably much worse than the movie. Oh, oh yes. When that, you when you when you transform oh. a thing that belongs in one medium into a different medium, right. you you have to break it in you, some fundamental way. Things are supposed to be. What they're supposed to be—they're not supposed to be that and a different thing, right? You're, I, I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. It's two completely different art forms, and um, each one can stand on its own and be enjoyed on its own. But really, a book or a novella, in this case, has such an advantage in the sense that the, the character development can be yeah. uh, played out to a greater extent than than what a filmmaker has. So it's interesting seeing like because there's a a lot of um, movies which Matheson personally adapted into, um, you know, from his books. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think what you see there or what I've been seeing anyway, is that while the uh, the the general story, the basic story Mm -hmm. is intact and and much more uh, true to the source material than um, most adaptations what's missing is the thing that made that original material so great and uh, i mean i don't know how much i mean well i guess we have seen you know a a few things that he has written directly for the screen his episode of star trek for one enemy within and those tend to be better than his adaptations and i think it's because he's Mm -hmm. playing to the medium instead of just trying to take past successes and translate them yeah, that's it, it. That's a tough thing for a uh, a writer director, I would think. You know, it's you're trying to squeeze that 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 round block into a square square hole in it. And and the the best adaptations are probably the ones that do depart rather radically from the source material and uh, become their own thing. So uh, moving on to the movie, which came out uh, eight years after the Alfred Hitchcock episode and uh, 11 years after the the book was written, uh, Cold Sweat was directed by Terrence Young, who had directed Dr. No and From Russia with Love, as well as Thunderball and a bunch of other movies. Um, It starred Charles Bronson, and it was written by a number of people, one of which was Shimon Winselberg who Star Trek fans might know better as S. Bar David, the writer of Dagger of the Mind and the Galileo 7. Now, Max, you didn't see the movie? No. But you did, Uncle Tony. I did. After having read the novella, it just, the movie, in my humble opinion, uh, was really more of a vehicle for 
Charles Bronson and the movie really did not have any sense to me of the um, uh, anxiety and, 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 and crisis that the protagonist was going through. I mean, the uh, Matheson in the novella is, is so able to uh, grab the reader and you're into it and your, ho- your heart is pounding just like his is and he's you know, on the edge of disaster all the time. I never quite got that sense from the Branson movie. It, Different settings, yeah. South, Southern France versus right. We we should note that that this uh, movie took some liberties with the book. It uh, opened up the story a lot more. Where you know the the book was Los Angeles, you know, a family mm-hmm. man who committed like a essentially like a petty crime that went wrong mm-hmm. um, earlier in his life. This is about um, a guy who an American who has moved to France in order to sort of run away from his past as a, uh, as a, a soldier in Korea, I think, right. who was thrown into uh, the, the what would they be? Like, uh, a, like a, a prison. A brig situation, brig, yeah, yeah. For, you know, being, you know, drunk and disorderly and, and broke out and in the process of breaking out for this, you know, petty offense you know, someone again gets killed, a French, or I think it's, no, it's a German, German a German police, police officer right. gets killed. Oh, a German police officer. Yeah. Right. The movie wasn't nearly as dark mm-hmm. as the novella, and that may be a product of cinema versus written word again, but... Um, <laughs> I like the idea of the Charles Bronson movie. It's yeah. a toned-down version of the well, story. Well, and, and that, to me, that, that was very... Uh, yes, that is an irony. Ironic. Yeah. Um, Cold Sweat to me was um, I, I, the title didn't really fit the. the film. No. It never elicited a, a nervous sweat. moment from me. Um, yeah. Room temperature sweat. Uh, actually, no sweat at all. <laughs> it was um, y- you know the the interplay, the relationship between the, the character and his wife wasn't there, and that was such an integral part of the. Yeah. You know, in in, in the book, Matheson is. You know, she, she goes through this metamorphosis too. You know, where and you never really get that. That just isn't present in the in Cold Sweat. Well, I mean, that that was one of the things I think, and that's one of the things which sort of you know breaks this movie. Which you know, I, I agree with you, is not very good. Um, it, it was very much, I think, designed to be a vehicle for Charles Bronson, mm-hmm. and in doing so, you know, the thing with the wife, for example, you know, the 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 book keeps on going back and forth between perspective, you know, half of it is told from the husband's perspective and half of it's told from the wife's perspective. Right. So you see both of their, their mm-hmm. journeys. And whereas with a uh, cold sweat, it's all about, you know, the husband, the same thing with, um, with the, the, the Hitchcock episode. And introducing the whole element of the, the heroin aspect of it with the, I mean, it was just, yeah. they, they went out of their way to, yeah. Heroin to, well, yeah, they, they basically turned these guys into drug dealers. You know, they they went out of their way. Well, that I think makes kind of sense. Like a lot of the a lot of the uh, changes that were made, I think, were made in order to make it clear that Charles Bronson is a good guy. Right. You know, I think the whole thing with making him, you know, uh, an army guy who, you know, yeah. was with it, it was not someone who was committing a crime. Well, it was basically it got caught a guy up in who the wrong... was yeah. And then also, you know, making these guys who he's with, you know, even badder bad guys than um, 
the ones that in in the book. Although I, I will say though that the guy, I thought the guys in the the bad guys in the book, I thought were a lot more sinister. Yeah, they were because the, they they seemed just crazy. Yeah, they weren't they, like they were, you know, psychotic. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they seemed to have like they wanted to have like a main villain, you know, right. like one, right. you know, big antagonist, you know, and getting James Mason to play him. Uh, I think was also, you know, very calculated. It helps when the audience feels that there's a resolution once the hero has killed the villain. Yeah. If if the villain is just one of several people. Mm-hmm. Although that's not what happens here because the the, he doesn't kill the villain and then they have they add like a whole... Charles <clears throat> Bronson doesn't kill a villain? No, Charles Bronson... What kind Bronson, of movie is this? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, doesn't, he doesn't kill James Mason, but then there's like a whole added thing where... You know, the book ends, spoilers, spoilers, whatever. The book ends with, um, you know, the guy who is shot uh, dying and the other guy chasing, you know, the the wife and the wife lighting grass on fire. And uh, the guy dies. He's lit on fire. That was just a a little, um, the the reader had to make a little bit of a leap leap on that one because Mm -hmm. she sets the grass on fire. And um, what the heck does this guy do? Did he ru- did he run into the fire? How did he? <laughs> I, well, I, I the way the way that yeah. I read it was yeah. she was running across a field of grass, mm-hmm. and then she got to the edge of the grass, lit the grass on fire. So he was in the middle of the field and of he grass, was caught inside the yeah, and he couldn't get away. Well, that that made sense. The, the movie, the Cold Sweat movie, it was kind of hilarious to, with the way they used the fire aspect of the. Mm-hmm. They they tried to bring that element in with with. Bronson, but but doesn't he shoot a flare at the guy? Wasn't that the, well? That was later on. Yeah, you know, I mean yeah. they do the fire thing oh, in there, but then it, it yeah. continues. That doesn't take care of the the problem. That doesn't stop the bad guy. Right. And there's a whole other, you know, climax where they're on a boat, mm-hmm. and then he shoots a flare at him, and the flare lights the guy on fire, and then he they throw him overboard, and and well, that's it's it. Like they were trying to find a way to get that fire in there, you know. With the... <laughs> right. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Also, the problem that that I I had with it was it seemed overly complicated. It was a lot more well complicated than than the book was. The book had a very uh, straightforward story, mm-hmm. you know, and and no extra motivations or anything like that that were unnecessary. This had so much stuff going on, right? Like right. these guys were, you know, bringing in drugs and and everything, and it's just like, why is all there? There were more of them, it, you know. There weren't just three guys. There was like a whole team and and stuff. It, it was. It's interesting, you know, that, that you say that with all the added factors and in, in, in cold sweat. Um, in an ironic type of way, I thought that the book, even though the characters were more complex and more um, real. Mm-hmm. Um, the story was much cleaner. It was, it, yeah. It, it, it was it, mm-hmm. much more satisfying because yeah. because it it left you in a certain place. It didn't seem contrived. It, right. It, uh, the movie was really working hard to get, yeah <laughs> to get you to a certain point, and it had so many things going on. Right. So many, I, mean, well, I didn't even a, know. There's a philosophical clarity to the to the heroes and the villains in the story. It's mm-hmm. there's like the the bad guys are bad guys because they've essentially accepted that role. Like mm-hmm. they're they're content with murder, right. and and being ruthless and terrible, and and 
essentially that's really the villain. It's not any individual. It's that idea of like, I'm going to just cut that part of humanity out of myself. Right. And, and that's what they're sort of fighting against. And that's sort of the, the underlying threat to the protagonist and his wife. I mean, that the idea that maybe by engaging with these people, they're doing the same things to themselves. It's a very simple sort of mechanic, mm -hmm. but the urge to make the villain's motivation more obvious is sort of, paradoxical because their motivation is very very simple they they want stuff mm -hmm. and 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 it doesn't really matter like why they want it or how they originally got it but like in the 70s there was sort of this like terror that like drug dealers were the bad guys right and, and then I, in the 80s and it still happens i guess my first reaction to the to the book was amongst other things, it could be classified as a kind of a classic revenge tale. Mm -hmm. Except the protagonist isn't seeking revenge. It's not, right. you know, uh, John Wayne and the Searchers. It's it's the bad guy seeking revenge, revenge on, the... on a guy who's trying to be right. good. And... Kind of like Cape Fear, but with a bunch of guys. Yeah. Max, any final thoughts on Ride the Nightmare? Um, in terms of things that uh, Richard Matheson has written that are totally worth reading, this would never have popped into my mind as being fairly significant because this this period of Matheson's career, it, it's sort of before he did his really, really wild out there stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even thought of it had it not been adapted into a number of things. But it's interesting reading a story like this that, that predates so many things that we consider to be uh, typical of, of a particular genre and like style of like storytelling and it's like I, I, regularly in these things I'm like wow Richard Matheson was writing like 20 years ahead of everybody else I don't quite know how that is possible mm -hmm. but he's way ahead of the curve on this whole thing yeah yeah I, I you know um, ashamed to admit it but even from just a, a librarian standpoint I just had never really been too much aware of you know, I've heard of I Am Legend and, and all that, but um, I didn't know there was this whole other aspect to his yeah. his career. And, and I have to say that I, you know, fairly, fairly impressed with the with the literary effort in this. Yeah. Um, uh, I would I would definitely have no problem recommending this to someone who I know, you know, likes to read suspense or noir type of um, novels. All right. Well, um, before we wrap this up, uh, I, I think that we should also note Richard Matheson's next book, uh, which was turned into a movie, uh, his next book period, which was The Beardless Warriors, which was written a year later in 1960. Um, we're not going to be covering this book in detail because uh, the movie that it, uh, that it, it was adapted into, The Young Warriors, uh, is not available anywhere, so we can't really do it justice. It was a theatrical release. Yeah, it was. It came out in 1966. It was uh, written by Matheson himself and directed by John Pizer, who is probably best known for directing the bulk of Combat. Um, and it starred. Um, I want to say his name was James Drury from the Virginian. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it, it, what it is is it's a it's a story about, you know, a, a young American soldier or a group of young American soldiers in Germany during World War II, and it's heavily based on Matheson's own experiences as uh, uh, a soldier in, in World War II, like an 18-year-old. The book 
I guess from what I understand was fairly critically acclaimed and um upon its publication there were a number of people who were very interested in adapting it into a movie the first of which was uh Richard Zanuck who produced um there's a name yeah i mean everything and he was going to do it but then opted to do the longest day instead so he said no and then Fred Zinneman, who directed uh, Pat Planet of the Apes, oh. Patton, you know, it, wow. he, he wanted to do it, but he had a lot of other projects on his, uh, on his plate. But Matheson didn't want to wait. He wanted it to go forward right away, so he declined Zinneman's offer and opted to give it to Universal, who did it very, very cheaply. Even though Matheson himself wrote it, I guess it's not at all like the book because one of the things that the studio wanted to do was incorporate all of the footage from the combat scenes from To Hell and Back into this movie so they wouldn't have to shoot. So so basically that is that is really uh, a that's really going on the cheap. Wow. Wow. Right. And hiring, you know, Pizer to direct it. I think was um, also. No, I want to see a whole bunch of movies that do that. (laughs) Well, there probably are a whole bunch of movies that do that, but you know, hiring (laughs) you know Pizer to direct it was probably also a rather cheap move. Hiring you know, like I saw the poster and said, you know, starring James James Drury, Drury. yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, and it says like you know, star of the Virginia, star of TV's The Virginian. You know, I mean, getting a TV director to direct it. I mean, they did shoot it in Cinemascope. And the aspect ratio at that point would have been 2.35 to Stop. 1. <laughs> anyway, th- that, that is, you know, all very, very cheap. And I think the finished product is considered to be not Fol- very follows, good. Follows, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, th- so that's, that's that. Uh, but just figured we should make note of it. All right, well, that pretty much uh, wraps up Ride the Nightmare and, and this week's episode. Uh Thanks for joining us again, Uncle Tony. Oh, my pleasure. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that you asked. All right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You're always a good guest. And, yeah, go uh, support your local library. Right? Thank you for that PSA. Okay. Don't steal books from it. Yeah. <laughs> As always, you can find us on Twitter at ComtrackStars or email us at ComtrackStars at gmail.com. Or you can check out our other show, Commentary Track Stars, over on CommentaryTrackStars.com. We're coming up on the, the end of, of that, so check that out. And you can also uh, find us over on Trek.fm. Along with this show, you can go to the forums, and we're there, and uh, leave us a comment. If you've never, if you listen to this show, and you've never left a comment or said anything to us, say something to us. Make us feel special. Make us feel like we're not doing this in a vacuum your favorite sports team is terrible at sports there you go respond to that <laughs> um, all right that that's it for this week we will be back next week with john from words with nerds to discuss hell house <laughs>